Thank you. Good morning and happy Sabbath to everyone. This is my first Sabbath to worship with you, uh, where you can sit where you want and uh, fellowship in an environment less stress-tested by fear. Let's pray. Lord, it's a beautiful morning. We seek the beauty for this congregation and the beauty individually that only you can bring to our communion with you and our communion with each other. And I pray now, Lord, as we come to the end of this Vacation Bible School, that you will bless the efforts of so many to help our children get ready not only to meet you, but to give this message. So guide us now, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. First of all, I do want to say what a wonderful thing it is to be a part of ministering with youth pastors, youth ministers, and I include, I include in that many beyond anybody that's on this staff. I'm very thankful for uh, the efforts of our Vacation Bible School leaders. Uh, Sue Mondak and Kimberly Spear gave us the leadership we needed to bring our young people to a deeper knowledge of how to be happy in Jesus. It's a huge undertaking. We had about 200 kids, night by night, and they learned so many valuable things. And for that effort, I'm exceptionally grateful. And to all those that might be watching or might not be members of this church, it's so important that your vacation Bible school is actually substantive. Uh, you can't take a vacation Bible school program from another evangelical church and baptize it in Adventism, supposedly so, and come out the other side with something that actually strengthens the spiritual uh, person of our young people. Uh, the modern evangelical world has gone so far over into the dynamic of entertainment that they think gathering a crowd is success. And what the leaders of our Vacation Bible School have shown is that you can teach children the beauty of holiness and teach them substantive things and give them engagement that is intellectually stimulating and spiritually deepening. And so I just want to encourage those listening here and those that will watch online. We have the most wonderful message. The Spirit can creatively infuse the minds of our Sabbath school leaders, Pathfinder, Adventurer leaders, youth pastors. We need to be creating our own programming that actually achieves the goals we're after, which is to give our children wisdom and strength to stand at the end of time, that focuses on the Bible and isn't all about scintillating and uh, entertaining. So I want to say thank you for all that. I praise the Lord. And so pass along a word of encouragement to those that were involved. And if you were involved, thank you. Everybody working together made that happen. Now this morning, I'm presenting a message called Hard Times and Strong Kids. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a few uh, why you need to pay attention statements here. And to do that, I'm going to uh, take my bag and I'm going to get some, it's almost a waste of money, except to make the impression I decided to do it. So I was in a store Thursday. And uh, I was walking down the main aisle, and I saw 
a big display. It was a clearance rack. And uh, I don't mind a good deal. As a matter of fact, I love a good deal. But I was a little bit startled at the bargains that were to be found. And I'm, I want to make my case, but before I make my case, I need to make sure I've got your attention and that you understand how important it is the case I'm going to make needs to be made. So I come to this clearance rack, and it's, it's all about celebrating. And maybe I wouldn't be so sensitive to it. It's just that it seems like all of a sudden the world has kind of gone over to the other side. And there was one thing on the clearance rack that I thought was the messaging was really good. And uh, I'm all for it. It was a, a piece of two-by-six that had been painted white, and it had one word on it, and it just said the one word over and over again. The one word was kindness. So it said kindness. Let's see, Roy G. Biv. Uh, those are the rainbow colors, right? Um, and it said kindness, 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 and it took you through the spectrum of the rainbow. Now, I really believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that the kindest people on the face of the planet should be Christians. And I do find it interesting that the biblical instrumentality of communicating limits to God's judgment found in the book of Genesis, which is a rainbow, that that instrumentality, that symbol, which came after God's most powerful statement of, of words slip me, disgust is the word that comes to my mind, displeasure, disapproval. The world got so bad in such a short period of time that God said, I'm not sure this is really what I should have done. Now those are Ron Kelly's paraphrase and maybe not the best paraphrase. So let's not equate it with what the scriptures say, but when the Bible's talking about repenting about the making of man in a short period of time, and the evil on the face of the planet becomes so painful to the Creator, so unacceptable, so outrageously dis destructive to the spiritual development of the next generations that God says it's not redeemable and I'm going to have to start over and shortly after starting over I'm going to have to confuse the languages because it seems like these people set their mind on doing evil and when they work together they get there faster so it does strike me as very unique that the instrument of grace at the other side of the intervention of judgment so the destruction of an entire world which most of the world for most of its history has believed did exist did happen of course the last hundred years we've denied that that happened so maybe that sets us up to be in a slightly different position this morning but the instrumentality of grace to say I won't do that again which is a rainbow 
now becomes the celebration of some of the very things that God intervened to stop. So, for most of us, as Americans and Christians, we kind of live with a live and let live. And for most of us, we've been coasting on the idea. We're like a big 747 that has just slowly been losing the engines. You know, the Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And slowly, this amazing country that has been the promulgator of freedom at all levels... Slowly the engines have been going out on this amazing Dreamliner and we've been losing altitude, but for many of us on the airplane, we have this great desire that somehow it should continue to deliver people to the destination of of joy and happiness in this amazing dream we call the American dream. And I don't think that many have been willing to disconnect enough from the materialistic and substantive blessings of this country to realize that prophecy is being fulfilled and that this country is moving from its benign to its dragon-like qualities to where freedom is no longer quite as free and liberty is no longer quite as available. So I felt like on Thursday when I was walking through the halls of one of the stores I frequent and I saw this display, I felt like this is probably a a little indicator of where our culture is at. And maybe it would be a good wake-up moment for all of us, parents included. So my first purchase, which if it wasn't for the fact that I was a preacher would be a complete worse than waste of money, is this little black shirt for a little child that says born to love. And you don't want to miss the fact that it's all in the rainbow spectrum. Everything this morning I show you will have that overview. It will all have the rainbow uh, spectrum on it. So we'll just hang for, you know, the nine-year-old that needs to wear that. They were born to love. And none of us would disagree with that, okay? I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God himself is love and God himself defines what love is and he defines it in person and family and society and my next shirt is maybe starting to become theological and maybe that's why I bought it this is a you know this one here is for a little bigger child and the statement is that love is love And uh, you just all need to know that. And why not be a walking billboard for the fact that love is love, I guess, whatever love is, it is what it is. But it's all in rainbow colors there this morning for you. And I want you to understand that in some people's mind, love is only acceptance of all things. And it's never, ever a statement that what you feel in the moment might not lead you to what you want in the end. But not getting in somebody's way and giving them permission to just love however they want to love. Uh, Needless to say that how we feel when we're 13 may not be how we feel when we're 33 or 43 or 53. So if you're a parent or not a parent, in some places you can't stand in the way of someone becoming whatever they want to be. No mind that somehow you are 
you are freighted and charged at one point in time in the mind of society with helping that person develop into a functional, happy, uh, society-protecting family unit. Now this one here uh, really started pushing my buttons and I had already chosen what I was going to be preaching on when I came upon this clearance rack. But this is for more of an adult, or at least a younger adult. And I want to make sure you can read it. You probably can't see it from that far, but it says, It takes courage to grow up and become who you really are. And certainly with the new uh, secular spiritual manifesto of this age, by the way, people were created to do good, and inside all of us we need a mission, and we're supposed to make the world a better place. And I don't want anything I'm saying at the beginning of this message to suggest that somebody that is excited about this spectrum of colors for an alternative lifestyle isn't to be loved. They are to be loved. But the problem is, is that when my grocery store is now carrying the... Uh, the, the baton of this manifesto forward and putting statements out here that the really courageous person is the one who becomes who they really are. No, mind you, that when you're 16, you might not really know who you are. And since we just had uh, Laura Perry, who is a uh, middle-aged Baptist woman who was formerly transgender in this church, go online and watch the interview uh, we gave the unabridged video interview on our website. Go online and see if in the middle of her life, uh, as she's now sharing that you don't really know who you are when you're a teenager, you're still discovering it. And, and go online and see if sexuality isn't somewhat malleable and shapeable and, and if there aren't normally doubts and questions about all that. Maybe going by your feelings, discovering who you are, may not end up being who you really want to be when you know yourself just a little bit better. So we'll set that one there about courage. And the last one seems to be for a full-fledged adult. And uh, this one I especially felt was the most egregious. And you won't be able to read the words, but what it says is, with a nice beautiful rainbow is that gender is a spectrum. And when I pulled that off the rack, I just really felt like I was losing the war and my society was going in celebration exactly the wrong way. Now, if it wasn't for the fact that the people that we work with for taking blood, and we appreciate the company that comes here, we want to be good citizens, Seventh-day Adventists live very healthy lives. They still practice a Christian Judaic value system that protects them from many of the diseases that get into other people's blood by licentious and lawless practice. Um, if it wasn't for the fact that all the emails coming from the organization that works with us about blood is celebrating Pride Month as well, I felt compelled to actually say that maybe the courage we need today is to be very enthusiastically and zealously passed on to the next generation because it's very possible that we've gone past a tipping point 
in our society, and that the absence of free speech and balanced dialogue in the media venues is a very sobering and troubling indicator that in the not-too-distant future, it's going to take an awful lot of courage to be what millions of Americans and Christians around the globe have stood for for centuries since the Bible was given to the ordinary person, and that a value system that says societies are built on husbands that are faithful to their wives and wives that are faithful to their husbands. It might be that not too long from now, a belief that this Bible that can and should be read by the ordinary person without expertiseism in the languages or history of the book, but that just simply knowing the book, it might be that the courage you need to say, the Bible says, is going to have to be summoned up. And so, since uh, it appears that organizations, and, and by the way, um, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I bought these at Meyer, and I appreciate the Meyer stores. I actually have the biography of Fred Meyer, and I'm not convinced that Fred Meyer. And I haven't been in Walmart to see if they're celebrating the same way, but I don't know that Sam Walton either would have necessarily said the mission of this business, and by the way, whether it was James Cash Penny or Mr. Ward, his, his business is gone. Ward's, Montgomery Ward's has gone out of business. But for many of these Christian stores, they were started by Christian businessmen who believe it was about more than making money, it was about serving communities. Now, I don't want anybody who's struggling with identity to feel anything less than love from this Christian community or this Christian pastor. But having said that, it's important for all of us to know that America at the end is not like America at the beginning. And if de Tocqueville the famous French philosopher, was of the opinion that America's goodness and its Christian value system was tied to its greatness, then it might be that the absence of that Christian value system is a prophetic harbinger or signal to the fact that the goodness is on the way out and the greatness is following it. And pretty soon it's going to take a little more courage to be who at one point in time was not a controverted or critiqued uh, personage. So this morning, I want to spend a few minutes talking about strong kids because I just described to you what I think are cultural omens, indicators, outliers of where we're headed. And it's not a very pleasant conversation piece. So let's go ahead and do something now that I think is another somewhat unpleasant experience. Take your Bibles, if you would, and open them up to the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah is a especially difficult book when you understand and read it in its larger setting. Go to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 14. Let's start right here. Hard times. 
The nation of Israel once went from victory to victory. And the nation of Israel is no longer a player in salvation history. So for all those evangelicals that might hear this message, you need to understand that Israel was God's instrument to take a message of His goodness and glory to the world. They failed to do that. They even rejected the Lord of glory and crucified Him. And while salvation is offered to all, Jew and Gentile alike, salvation is no longer an instrument to be uh, carrying forward. Salvation is no longer at the hands of a genealogy of Abraham by flesh and blood. It's now at the hands of those who are believers. The New Testament Israel is a group who are spiritually circumcised. Their hearts have been made ready to receive His Word. But in the days of Jeremiah, about 600 years before Jesus, the nation of Israel was caught in the similar kind of battle for its heart and soul. And God had come to a place where He realized things needed to change. Verse 13 of Jeremiah, I'm reading from the New American Standard, it says, but, ah, Lord God, I said, look, the prophets are telling them, you'll not see the sword, nor will you have famine, but I'll give you lasting peace in this place. Then the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. I have neither sent them nor commanded them nor spoken to them, they are prophesying to you a false vision, divination, futility, and the deception of their own minds. Now, I would take by what Jeremiah just said that those prophets actually thought they were speaking the truth when I take that last phrase by the deception of their own mind. But I like to think about Jeremiah in his ministry of 40 plus years. I like to think about Jeremiah as a young man who's saying, God, I didn't know it was this bad. You know, I know as a young pastor when I came into this denomination, especially not being raised as a Seventh-day Adventist, I thought that everybody who had the name pastor or president or treasurer or secretary or ministerial director, I thought everyone who held that title was as pure as the wind-driven snow. And that education page 57 that said, the greatest want of the world is for the want of people that can stand for the right though the heavens fall. I assumed wrongly in the spiritual innocence, even of my early and middle 20s, that people that were going to be holding power over my life and working for this great remnant church were of one heart, one mind, and one soul in regards to fidelity to God. And I didn't realize that an institution 120 or 30 years old back then was liable to the, the pressures of any five-generation uh, church. And I kind of see Jeremiah in this moment saying, God, did you know that all these people are working against me? Now, God had warned him in the beginning, you're going to be against the princes and the kings, and you're going to be against all these people. But I don't think Jeremiah understood how deeply rooted were some of the errors. Turn over to chapter 15 and look at verse 10. Verse 10. It's so bad that Jeremiah says, Woe to me, my mother, that you've borne me as a man of strife and as a man of contention to all this land. I have not lent, nor have men lent money to me, yet everyone curses me. The Lord said, Surely I will set you free for purposes of good. Surely I will cause the enemy to make supplication to you in a time of disaster 
and a time of distress. You know, Jeremiah was doing everything in his power to make sure that Jerusalem wasn't destroyed. Turn over to chapter 18. Chapter 18, and we'll look at verses 18 and 19. This is the experience of Israel just before the judgment of God. Then they said, verse 18, Come and let us devise plans against Jeremiah. Surely the law is not going to be lost to the priest, nor counsel to the sage, nor the divine word to the prophet. In other words, they are theologically ramping themselves up to go against this naysayer, Jeremiah. And they're saying, this just isn't possible. I mean, the Bible's not going to be taken out of the sanctuary, and God's not going to cast off his priests in this whole system of worship. The rest of the verse says, come on and let us strike at him with our tongue, and let us give no heed to any of his words. And Jeremiah has to say, do give heed to me, O Lord, and listen to what my opponents are saying. Turn over to chapter 20. It gets so bad that 20 chapters into the story, Jeremiah is worn out. We'll start with verse 7. Oh Lord, you've deceived me, and I was deceived. You've overcome me and prevailed. I've become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud, I proclaim violence and destruction, because for me the word of God has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. But if I say, I will not remember him, that's God, capital H, or speak any more in his name, capital H, then in my heart it becomes a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. In other words, he says, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. I have no friends. It's worse than that. People mock me. Now, in an age of conformity and shallowness of person, the worst thing that can happen is that you be uh, excommunicated from the secular acceptance of the day. You be cut off and made fun of and mocked. And people have this great need to belong. Jeremiah did too. Turn over to chapter 21. We'll look at verse 13. Behold, I am against you, O valley dweller, O rocky plain, declares the Lord. This is a statement of God to the nation. And it is a call to all parents to be true first to the principles of God's identity in hopes that their children could get launched into a functional adulthood. But the reason I'm including it this morning is that when Jesus said, don't think that I came to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword to set at variance a mother with a daughter. What I'm trying to say is that God has not changed, and there has always been a love that actually moves a person to enough courage to say, we're all going to be held accountable. And then, especially writing to the young in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says, consider this whole matter. Remember this, everything's going to come into judgment. And it is a parent's job to remind a child that in the youth of their life, 
While feeling seems to be given perfect liberty in this modern age, and no one is to rain on your parade, there will come a day in your life when you look back with regret. Relationships ruined, broken, fragilely constructed, and only limited in their length of days. And I'm not going to take a lot more time to communicate, but let's go to chapter 26 from Jeremiah, and then we'll move to a contemporary of Jeremiah, chapter 26. And I'm going to read several verses here. We'll begin with verse 1. It says, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, you need to remember, Josiah worked all the reforms of Israel just before this time. The son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the citizens of Judah who have come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I've commanded you to speak to them, do not omit a word. That's an important phrase, and you're going to see why. Perhaps they will listen, and everyone will turn from his evil way, that I may repent of the calamity which I'm planning to do to them because of the evil of their deeds. And you'll say to them, Thus says the Lord, If you will not listen to me to walk in my law which I have set before you, to listen to my words, the words of my servant, the prophets, whom I have been sending to you again and again, but you've not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and this city I will make a curse to all the nations of the earth. Verse 7, The priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, the priest and the prophets and all the people seized him, saying, You must die. There's a reason God said, don't leave out a single word. And after Jeremiah shared every single word, Jeremiah wondered if that had been a very good idea. Now, if we think that humanity is really on a new cycle and that its habits and tendencies don't come around we might want to think again and in the remaining portion of this time I want to show you how you can be strong you may not have kids yet you may have them your kids may be grown your kids may be adolescent whoever it is whatever phase of life you're in these principles work for all people but they're especially important to teach early on go to the book of Daniel few chapters farther into the Old Testament. Go to the book of Daniel, chapter 1, and I want to make a simple but important point in regards to this young man, because he grew up in this culture, and he heard Jeremiah, and he made some decisions. I should say his parents made some decisions. Chapter 1, verse 8, famous verse, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank, and he sought permission from the commander. Some of your Bibles say Melzar. That's a title, not a name, of the officials that he might not defile himself. You need to understand something. The experience of Daniel is not only typical or representative of God's people in the end once chapter 1 starts, it's typical and representative before chapter 1 starts. In other words, you need to know something. There were a lot of people in Jerusalem who weren't listening to Jeremiah, but there were some who were still listening. 
And Daniel's parents, no doubt, were in that group. They were listening to the word of the prophet, and they heard the true tones of prophetic love and a call to judgment. And they let the prophetic voice give them understanding of what was coming, and they decided to prepare their children. Now, there were hundreds, if not thousands, of captives carried away in the first uh, siege or confrontation with Jerusalem in 606 B.C. Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were just four of them. But there was a journey of preparation, and that preparation was begun by giving heed to the prophetic voice. Now, having said that, for those of us who want to combat the idea that gender is a spectrum, and you ought to have the courage to be who you really are, it doesn't matter. There's been a war on against parental authority. It started as a war against fatherly authority. It's been a war against biblical authority for a long time. And the end goal is to make sure that there is no limit to the exploration of human desire. And we are in that moment right now where the almost implosion of a society is upon us. We're at a place where people no longer believe that working is really a Christian duty and relative to the integrity of a person, that they should actually work for the things they get. We're at a point in time in which feeling runs paramount over principle, and love is a condition of emotional state, not a definition born mainly on the cornerstone of commitment. We're living in a, a strange age, and if in that age we let all of that prophetic insight from the 1800s by a, a little old lady who was empowered through the Holy Spirit, if we march into the future and we'd rather check our Facebook than to open those books, I can guarantee you the devil is going to shake and sift us without any resistance, and our children will fall into the basket first. God's people are distinguished by two things. They keep the commandments of God, and they have the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. And that spirit of prophecy is to be in the parental voice and the parental principles. It's to be in the teaching voice and the teaching principles. It is to be in the pastoral voice and the pastoral principles. And if you're having a hard time figuring out whether or not you have a false prophet in your pulpit, or you're being a false prophet at home, just ask yourself, Am I allowing the principles of holiness to direct and define love in my house, and am I standing up against evil? And if you're practicing a parental form of a politically correct culture where you think the goal is to make sure everybody feels good all the time, you could be in danger of giving away your children's salvation through dereliction of parental duty. And whole churches are going to be held accountable, and we're told that people will rise up in the end and they will confront the false-hearted, lying, prophetic pastors that stood in pulpits and failed to fulfill the prophetic role of God. This is serious stuff. Daniel's parents heard the prophecies of Jeremiah and other contemporaries. And they made a decision because they watched rebellion after rebellion. Israel 
would make a promise to Nebuchadnezzar and they'd turn their back on it the next day. And they understood that what God said did involve punishment at times and discipline. And so they knew that these boys, especially being in the royal line, were going to find themselves at some point in time facing death or facing life in a foreign land. And they began to focus on putting the word in their heart. They went back over all of those stories of faith in the Old Testament. They gave them the opportunity to memorize. They taught them how to stand up to their peers long before they were carted away. And I suspect that if Jeremiah endured mocking and derision, so did Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before they ever got to Babylon. But God turned those tables around, and where others had fear and wouldn't stand up, Daniel and his friends found peace through faith in God. Now, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, whoever's listening and watching, If you don't know how to be your own person, how do you think your children will ever know how to be their own person? Is your boss or your organization encringing, infringing on elements of what was once considered your personal liberty? Is there anything going on in your world that you're just kind of letting flow on by because the water isn't quite this high yet? Are you waiting until you're like this to say something? Or are you prayerfully considering the right time and the right moment to say, maybe it shouldn't be this way, and maybe I should take a little risk? It's not that we should rush out with our Christian superhero suits on and be the savior of the day. It's more that in prayer and in privacy, we should be summoning the wisdom of heaven and the kindness of heaven and the courage of heaven to look for the right moment to say, you know what, I don't think that's a good idea. And if it puts your livelihood in jeopardy, you need to know something. Your livelihood will be in jeopardy someday soon. And I just need to say this as well. When the mark of the beast comes, there will be a hundred good reasons why you need to comply. It's not going to be something that's thrust upon society and everybody says, oh, this is a bummer. This shouldn't be. Oh, no, no, no. When the mark of the beast comes... 99% or whatever it is, I'd hope it's not that high, but if Jeremiah's day is any clue, it's not a good indicator. There will be dozens and hundreds of thousands and millions that will be so glad for what's going on because it's the journey to security and a better future. If you cannot Walk with the soldiers. What makes you think you're going to run with the horses? If there's one thing that made America great, it was all the sacrifice that happened in the old world where people shed blood and they walked away from estates and wealth and riches because they valued a better land, a better country, where liberty of conscience and freedom of worship... If there is no spiritual backbone in the parents, there is not likely to be much spiritual backbone in the children. And one more warning. For indeed, in a community of faith, there can be corrupting influences. There is also a practice session inside a community of faith. So for those of you who have precious little ones, for whom you not want the corrupting influence of someone else's not-so-precious little ones affecting yours. Yes, that's part of the parenting challenge. Talk to me. I'm a pastor. 
pastoring sizable churches where not all parents have thought to be quite as careful about the discipleship of their children. I was not afforded the luxury, and neither of you are taking your children out of the community of faith, but it was my job, as it is yours, to be salt inside a community of faith and to speak up in the proper councils and boards and to inject oneself to make a difference for the culture of the family of God. Now, my time is evaporating rapidly, but if you want your children to have strength, you must teach them to obey. 1 Samuel 15, 22, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to heed the word of God than the fat of lambs. Who was that said to? It was said to King Saul, who went off and did his own thing. You see a man mighty indeed in the beginning. Who do you see at the end? You see a man so afraid he goes to a witch and he faints in the witch's cave. Obedience is a first step to courage for any person. And obedience is to the voice of the Holy Spirit when he says to you, mom or dad or child, I want you to do this. And it's not outside the principles and precepts of the Word. Learning to hear the voice of God. There is nothing like righteous living to make a person strong. And when a person does not obey, they become weak because they start carrying a load of guilt and insecurity and doubt about their connection to God. The second thing that our kids need to be taught, if Paul could write to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, and he could say, if you don't work, you don't eat, he considered it elemental to the experience of a person to be personally responsible to help the larger group. And when we are not teaching our young people to work, we are putting them in a posture to where they are going to be weak and need only certain venues for their future success, self-defined future venues. Work is at the heart of gaining confidence and strength of purpose to go against inclination and carry on until the job is done. These things fly in the face of the modern-day focus on feelings. The third thing that your children are going to need if they're going to be strong in the future is they're going to have to know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews chapter 11. So they're going to have to be put in a few situations that take a little bit of risk. That means they might be dealing with somebody that's a little intimidating to them. Maybe it's the handing of a track to an adult. Maybe it's the going to a door and meeting a stranger. Maybe it's just saying hello to a church member and looking them in the eye and extending their hand. These little things that ought to be done, that follow on the heels of obedience and work make a difference. God said that this work is going to be finished. It's going to go to everybody. The spirit of prophecy tells us in the book Great Controversy that in some cases it's going to be finished by the children. It's important to be teaching your children to witness, which means parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, you need to be witnessing. When was the last time you were praying to the Lord, show me someone I could share this with. I don't want to be spiritually insensitive and foist myself off on someone who has no interest. But I also don't want to be fearful and not speak a word and not understand that everybody's locked in a battle for their soul. And the last thing in this message, at least, not in a summative or comprehensive way that is important for your young people, is that your young people must be a part of a web of encouragement much larger than your own home. In other words, when Hebrews 10.25 says, don't forsake the assembling together. Now, I was just talking with an older friend 
yesterday. And while we haven't had time to even hardly talk in the last 20 years, we share a common love for mission. And it turns out that this individual is in our audience this morning. His parents attend this church. And I said to him, because his parents are retired denominational employees, father was a minister, when these older ministers in our midst come to me at the end of a message and they tell me I did a good job, I praise the Lord and I praise the Lord for them. If I did not have these older ministers to tell me I did not miss the mark even though I might have created a few problems along the way. I don't know where I'd be. There are dozens of people that need to be woven into the fabric of your own spiritual life. And of course, some of you are not practicing this. So your kids certainly aren't going to get to practice it. You make very little effort to know each other. And of course, if they're strange to you, they're going to be stranger to your kids. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus knew in his day that when a person became a follower of him, he might lose everything, including his family. And Jesus said, in this life you'll receive 160 and 30-fold more. What was he talking about? He wasn't talking about fattening the wallet. He wasn't talking about bigger estates. He was talking about a bigger family. He was talking about a greater belonging and a more fragrant fountain, free-flowing fountain love that comes from each other. You want strong kids in the future? You connect them to as many other God-fearing people as you possibly can who can because by the way for those of you that haven't made it to that adolescent and adultish stage with your kids there is a point in time when they think your head screwed on backwards and somebody else needs to say it I've got good news Every child that's given a good education is going to have a glorious future. Jesus Christ needs these young voices. He needs their lifestyles to be pure and holy and good. You need to teach your children that all music, whether it's got the name Christian on, it's not okay. You need to teach your children that how you dress makes a statement. You need to teach your children that what they watch affects their love for God and their desire to read the Bible. You need to teach your children that what they eat, none of this earns their salvation. It's all a reflection of the Creator God who came down here and became a man and took their sins to a cross and died for them and he's hoping somebody will live for him in their youth remember the creator in your youth and you need to set your kids on the path of mission friends we just finished a vacation bible school with 200 sacred treasures walking around on and, and, and under their own cognizance although many parents were here 
And we have to become a whole lot more intentional if we don't want them to be sucked into the vortex of conformity that comes through the ability to put a message in their pocket. And by the way, as I said to one group last night, I wish I would have said it to all of them because I want to thank our VBS leaders that they give me the chance to tell the Bible stories. These devices are a direct link to the messaging of the world. Your children should not have them until they're ready for them, and when they have them, getting them ready and making sure they're ready is an oversight dynamic. May God help us so that someday when we can't talk, the world is chagrined that they don't know what to do with these kids whom even the limited bit of conscience they have left says you can't treat those kids like you treated their parents. You can't throw a kid in jail. You can't kill a child. There may be some that die for Jesus. I don't know. But let the children rise up. But it's our job to get them ready. And we're going to have to be as intentional as the world is. Because love in their mind is not love like God defines it. And by the way, moms and dads love each other. (laughs) It's awfully hard to create a confident kid when the shade tree above them is split down the middle and about to crack apart. Some simple things we can do. All right, let's sing our closing hymn. Let's stand together and we're going to sing an old song. It's not in your hymn book. It is our goal to raise our children to be different. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. And some of them are going to have to. So let's help them be ready.
I want to pray for the men. Many mighty men are lost because they fail to stand. And I want to include the women. For many women in Israel have nerved the entire nation and the leaders to do right. And I want to pray, Lord, about those giants that are stalking through the land. The intimidation of having the mass media turned on you. And I want to pray, Lord, for the victory grant because you're going to win and we can win with you. And we're winners already, Lord, and I praise your name. But I'm praying for every young person who's trying to make it to adulthood and trying to figure out what they're good at and why they're valued and why anybody would want them as a life partner and all these normal doubts that people have. And I'm asking, Lord, that you'd especially bless the parents in affirming their uniqueness in Christ and the special role he's called them to and that they trust and obey. They learn how to serve in love. They learn how to work. That they have faith, that they're part of a grand witness and mission. And I'm praying, Lord, that our schools and our homes, along with our churches, will recognize that time is not long when they will have had to have determined ahead of time because the pressure will be crushing and the reasons will be great about why they should conform and just go along with the crowd. You've given us a little understanding, Lord, of what that looks and feels like over the last 15 months. And I'm just praying, Lord, may we have a subculture that encourages respectful and free discussion, deep bonds of love and affection, and a prophetic knowledge that what has been told will come. And may we be ready, Lord, by walking close with you, by loving your word, and trusting your spirit. We put all things in your hands now. Bless this congregation. Bless this message wherever you send it. And may our young people be taught they need to be different now and not be ashamed and not be afraid. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.